0: atlantic city home of the philadelphia eagles 97.3 espn 97.3 espn presents the sports bash with mike gill it's time for football at four with 97.3 espn.com's andrew dacheco Powered by the Inside the Birds podcast. We we recognize the the ability of the roster that's that's put together right now. And I think we have the ability to do something really special uh, with this group, but it's going to take a lot of hard work. Now, live from inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, it's Football at Four. It is Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast and brought to you by PlaySugarHouse.com. Sign up now, they'll match your first deposit up to $250. Andrew Dacheco's in the house today. Yeah, boy, Jim Schwartz was in the house today as well, and he had a lot of, uh, well, interesting things to say. Did he clear up anything from the Eagles' loss in that defense? Nate Geary, uh, that final touchdown from Chase Claypool. We'll bring Andrew to check away and see what he had to say about the comments today from Jim Schwartz, who was grilled on a lot. I don't know that he gave us much, but uh, we'll get Andrew's take on it all right now. On football at four here on the sports bash and Andrew welcome back on a Tuesday we got Tuesday night football tonight by the way listen to the game on 97.3 ESPN all right so today Jim Schwartz he was asked right out of the gates should you have called a timeout should Rodney McLeod shade it closer to that side should Nate Gary have backed up more what should have happened on that play and he really danced around and really didn't it didn't seem that he played blame on anybody Andrew No,
1: he didn't give a definitive answer as far as whose assignment that was. Was that the right play call? Should there have been a, a timeout called? He didn't answer much. He answered it without answering it. But, you know, he didn't really throw anybody under the bus or anything like that. You know, those are the those are the kind of answers that I expect from Jim Schwartz at this, you know, having with him having been here for five years, you're not really going to get a whole lot. You'll get some cool anecdotes from when he talks, but you won't really get a whole lot of substance when he has his Tuesday pressers.
0: All right. So he he mentioned there's backing up is not in our lexicon when it comes to that situation. So he's saying we're trying to hold them out of field goal range. It's third down and eight. The ball's on the 35-yard line. So that's still a, I mean, even if you get a stop there, it's a makeable field goal. I mean, outside of getting a sack in that situation, I, I mean, that to me, backing up isn't on our lexicon, doesn't add up.
1: Yeah, and I know that he mentioned that he was trying to protect his corners. Obviously, Craig James is in the game for Darius Slay. The safety position, you had Roddy McLeod there manning the, the center field, but you also had Marcus Epps who had been struggling and he probably didn't want to give that kind of responsibility to a guy like Kayvon Wallace. There wasn't a whole lot of options and Nate Gary ended up drawing the shortest draw I guess and and that's kind of the way that it went but that kind of speaks to the lack of talent that the Eagles have on the defensive side of the ball.
2: What about the timeout? I just feel in that situation when you know you're doomed you have Jalen Mills trying to communicate with Nate Gary, Rodney McLeod doing his thing. Obviously it wasn't right. You just look at that play, and something wasn't right. A timeout, I feel, was probably the most realistic option in that moment.
1: Yeah, even watching the TV broadcast, Hunter, you know, you could say, "Why isn't there being a time? Why isn't there a timeout being called right now?" It, it seemed to be so obvious, but yet it wasn't called. And Jim Schwartz today said that, that 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 falls on Doug Peterson. Doug Peterson's the guy that usually calls the timeouts in those type of situations. Um, that's the closest I've seen for him to potentially throwing anybody under the bus or putting anybody under a spotlight. But obviously, there wasn't a timeout called there, and you know the the results are kind of what you would expect when you see Nathan Gary on a line on a wide receiver that has hurt the Eagles throughout the entire game. So, um, unfortunately, a lot there could be more of that to come here in the coming weeks because the Eagles really don't have a ton of
0: options. All right, I want to you know he he mentioned that. Uh, what we called was good against what they called, but Ben recognized it. Isn't that the problem, that everybody Mm -hmm. recognizes the same thing? Where is 47 on the field? And when they find 47, they dictate what they want to run. Isn't 47 constantly the problem here?
1: Yeah, you know, it's a common theme, certainly. But as we've kind of talked about over the past couple of weeks, it becomes very predictable the Eagles defense because Jim Schwartz isn't very creative in his in in his scheme teams are teams know exactly what he's going to do it's very predicated on the front four getting pressure and when they don't do that 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 leaves a lot of players up to get exploited on the back end and even on the second level and the Eagles don't have the second level to to you know to kind of be able to mask some of those things so i mean yes obviously teams are looking at the tape and they see 47 constantly getting on the on the back, on the other end of these big plays, and they're going to continue to go at him. But as as I tweeted out today, Nathan Gary's played 355 out of 359 snaps of the season. He's their well, he's perceived to be their best option of linebacker, which kind of speaks to the problem right there because. Obviously, he, he's one of the wor- he's the worst-rated linebacker in football. He's given up twenty-three teams are twenty-three for twenty-three going at him in coverage. Jeez. He surrendered four touchdowns and an one hundred and fifty-four point six quarterback rating. Um, so to trot that guy out there for three hundred and fifty-five out of three hundred fifty-nine snaps—that tells you right there that uh, the state of the Eagles' linebacking situation.
0: Well, okay, so I, I'm not joking when I ask this question, but it may seem like it's it, like I am. Does Schwartz play Geary because? Hey, this is who you gave me, so I'm going to keep playing him until you figure out that this guy stinks. Because this is all you gave me.
1: That's kind of the way that I that I viewed it. It's these are the guys that he has. Those are the six linebackers that the personnel uh, the personnel. That's what they've given him, and he's going to keep putting them out there. Obviously, Nathan Gary has been around. Okay, well, let me
0: let me, let me ask you this, then, and, and I know you're a guy who knows a lot about some of these. I, I saw you tweet that you're more into Coastal Carolina tomorrow night than you are into tonight's game. So you, you know right. a lot of deep prospects, late-round guys. Does he have better – like, would they be better off letting Sean Bradley play? Would they be better off letting Alex Singleton play? Is Geary the best option – that they have, and it's just that they're bad. They don't have another option, or does he have better options?
1: Well, at this point, you have—they you, really have nothing to lose. And Sean Bradley, one of his strengths coming out of college is that he's a very sharp-minded football player. He's always finds himself to be in the right place at the right time. He's not very athletic he doesn't move very well laterally or or, or cover particularly well, but he's uh, he has he's a very fundamentally sound player. He shoots the gaps, he diagnoses plays pretty quickly and you got to see that he only played four snaps but on Sunday, but he made some great plays against the run. Put that guy out there and, and see what he could do or, or at the very least take away a lot of Nathan Gary's snaps. you know he shouldn't be out on, out on the field for 99 percent of the snaps uh, Nathan Gary Let's get, let's get Sean Bradley into the mix. Davion Taylor, I've gotten a lot of questions on him. It's hard to say if the Eagles aren't high on him. He's just simply not ready to, to be out there. He, he's a guy that has a lot of athletic ability. He runs fast, sideline to sideline, can cover very well. But he doesn't know – he hasn't played football that long. He doesn't really know – he runs fast, sideline to sideline, but he doesn't always know where he's going, and that's a big problem. Um, so I mean, he's going to take a little bit of time. But as far as Sean Bradley, he was always the more pro ready of the two rookie linebackers. He doesn't give you the kind of the kind of ceiling that a guy like a Davion Taylor has. But he's more he's going to be more diligent with his assignments. And so I think that you really he, he really to, to have him only play four snaps on Sunday that he's being criminally underutilized given the situation.
2: I would have to agree. That's the word I kind of wanted to go down. It's like, Nate Gary is not working. At what point? And you spit out the numbers. Those numbers, how can they look at that and not make a change? And I wonder, is this now on Doug Peterson? Can Doug Peterson, because I don't know what their relationship is right now. It seems like they're both headed in their own directions. Doug's doing the offense. Jim's doing the defense. At what point does Doug Peterson step well, up as guys, the coach? Well, you also have
0: to wonder... What do the guys in the locker room say is, hey, this guy's giving up, what was the number? 23 out of 23 completions. Yeah, yeah, 20, Teams are yeah. game planning for him. He's blowing assignments. How come I can't get on the field if this guy's playing like that? That's got to be demoralizing, too.
1: Yeah, and you kind of read between the lines, read the tea leaves and Roddy McLeod's postgame answer. He seems, you know, particularly annoyed. And it's hard for me to say whether he was annoyed at. Uh, at the play call, or annoyed with you know Nate Gary not knowing his assignment or not listening to him when he was trying to talk to him, or, uh, when Nikhil Robbie Coleman I believe was trying to talk to him as well. But eventually, you keep trotting a guy out there. That's going to that that's going to resonate with the team. It's like, look, let's give some of these young guys an opportunity here you don't know what they can do, but they certainly, you know, deserve an opportunity over a guy who's, you know, just perpetually getting targeted every week in and week out. And really just, he, it's just not, the light's not coming on for him. He's been around since 2017, you know, knowing where you're supposed to be and being able to execute your assignments are two entirely different things. And uh, Nathan Gary's proven that he he can't, he can't execute what they're asking him to do. So it's time to turn the reins over to some of the younger
0: players. Well, let me, like, we're just making a, a broad statement that, Hey, Teams are game planning for him. Do you see that? That teams are saying, "Hey, when they're in the the, the film room on Wednesday, Thursday, getting ready. All right, guys, we need to find forty seven, and we're going. You know, like he Schwartz is asked today about misdirection runs with wide receivers. The wide receivers have more rushing yards against the Eagles and running backs. What? That's the linebackers, right? I mean, that's that's your linebackers not understanding how to read that type of play.
1: Yeah, and that also speaks to the lack of discipline that the team has as a whole. You have a very aggressive defense, but they overpursue consistently every week and teams see an opportunity there. They don't stay in their lanes. They're constantly finding themselves out of position and particularly the linebackers struggle from an eye discipline st- uh, standpoint. And a lot of teams are cashing in on cashing in on that. You saw Ray Ray, Ray McCloud this past week, Robert Woods in week 2. It's, it's just teams are teams are seeing things on tape, and they just keep executing it until the Eagles prove that they can stop them.
0: By the way, uh, some Eagles uh, roster moves uh, just came out. Speaking of a rookie that you like, Casey Tuhill was just uh, released by the Eagles. Also, Graylin Arnold, a defensive back, uh, they have activated. Um, Will Parks from for the twenty-one day practice window. That's good news because I think missing Parks has kind of hurt this defense a little bit. I'm interested to see what they end up doing with him. But uh two hill's a guy that I know you liked. He has not been able to get in the field. But none of these moves here are helping out the biggest problem they had, which is the linebacking spot. And as you mentioned, I don't know um that they have that fix on this particular team, but what do you think about Parks and how he could potentially help this team out?
1: Well, Will Parks is lauded for his coverage ability and his versatility to align, whether it's the slot, the outside, say high, a single high safety position, come down and play You know that hybrid role that Malcolm Jenkins did. Getting him into that 21-day window is huge for the Eagles, who can really use any they're, – they're, they've been shorthanded on defense for the entire season. So certainly adding one of the guys that have been more uh, – one of the more enticing free agent signs that they had is, is, is definitely a plus. Now we got to see if it, if it'll be as early as this week because they could certainly sure, certainly use all the hands on deck against a uh, an offensive uh, an offensive loaded uh, Baltimore Ravens team. So we'll see here.
2: I don't think Jalen Mills had a good game whatsoever on Sunday, but is he now your corner? Like you talk about, Will Will Parks coming back, mm-hmm. Avante Maddox with the injury. I, I don't know if he was even that great on the outside. As it is, we talk about his size all the time. Is Jalen Mills? the outside guy across from Slay.
1: Well, I think right now, getting depending on whether or not you get Will Parks back for this week, you could see Jalen Mills as the permanent cornerback, too, because, like I said, Avante Maddox, they kind of thrust him into that second cornerback role. He's not a number two corner. He's a, he's a slot corner. I think next year, that position will be his, but right now, He's, he doesn't have the size or the length to match up with some of these boundary receivers, and you're start, you saw him struggle, particularly against the Rams and some of these other teams, uh, the Bengals as well. He, he really he's kind of playing out of his element there, and I think that putting a guy like Jalen Mills, who has started a lot of games at corner, you know, for better or for worse, he has the size, the physicality, and, and the, the football intellect to be able to execute what they're asking of him on defense. So I think that Avante Maddox might end up seeing some more slot duties when he comes back. Granted, Will Parks can get it back on the field because you might see some Will Parks and riding the cloud action at safety.
2: Yeah, I was going to follow up by saying, okay, so Jalen Mills is your outside corner. I understand his story, seventh-round draft pick. You don't expect much out of that, and you could say that he overachieved, and, and he's he is what he is, but is that good enough? Like, is Jalen Mills good enough at that outside corner spot?
0: No. <laughs> I don't know.
2: Uh, no, it's just no, not good no, enough no, So, no, you, no, that, like, what do no, you do that's, the
1: reason, that's a big reason why they moved him to safety he does not have the long speed or the, the instincts to be able to play that position at a high level which is what the Eagles really need and that's why they put Maddox there he's a quick twitch player he does have the instincts but he doesn't have the, the athletic traits that you look for in a second corner now let's not forget that Avante Maddox has played safety for the Eagles he's played the safety position fairly well in his, limited, in his limited sample size. So there's also that option there because you do have two nickel corners right now in Roby Coleman and Trayvon LeBlanc. Um, but it, it's clear to me that, that Jalen Mills is the best second corner that the Eagles have right now. So you might see Avante Maddox kind of be used similarly to Will Parks as far as a movable chess piece.
0: Uh, Andrew DeCecco, Football at Four, powered by the Inside the Birds podcast right here on the Sports Bass on 97.3 ESPN. I know, um, you know, you... you Schwartz, he got asked about the linebackers a lot, and he was asked about the resources devoted to the linebackers. He was asked about the young linebackers. He was asked about, uh, you know, the fact that you had Nigel Bradham. Now you lose that leader there. In today's game, the Eagles don't value the linebacker. They have very, they have the least amount of resources devoted to that position is the linebacker position how important do you see that position in today's game
1: i think it's an important position but i don't think that it's in other words are they are they right are
0: are they right in the way that they view it that we shouldn't be putting a lot of money into that position we just happen to have maybe we have the wrong guys but we're not going to apologize for not spending money there
2: I
1: think it becomes a talent evaluation issue because I think that you're, as you're seeing around the NFL teams are finding these late round to mid round linebackers on day two or day three that can step in and play. And the days of having those, that two down or uh, down linebackers that can, you know, shoot the gap and, and play a downhill style football like the Jeremiah Trotters of old. Well, those days are pretty much extinct. And now you're seeing a lot more hybrid players that can play that, that are more adept to playing coverage and running sideline to sideline and, and matching up against some of these hybrid tight ends that you see all around the NFL, I think those, those guys are becoming more prevalent. Obviously, that's what they've hoped, they hope to get out of Davion Taylor. He's just not ready. But you look at you know, Jeremy Chin and Isaiah Simmons, those are the molds of the, current, of the new age NFL linebackers that teams are really trying to get. They try to get to go that route with Nathan Gary being a former safety It just hasn't worked out. So to me, that becomes a talent evaluation standpoint, not necessarily a lack of resources.
0: All right. uh, This week, you know, tight ends have given them all sorts of problems. You got Andrews this week, but on top of that, big downhill runner with Mark Ingram. And on top of the fact that you got Lamar Jackson to deal with, how big of a mismatch do you see these linebackers against Andrews, uh, Lamar Jackson, Mark Ingram, and then J.K. Dobbins?
1: Well, I think that as far as uh, the linebackers being able to hold up against Mark Andrews or, or Mark Ingram, before I get to the tight ends, I think that they'll be okay because the front four has done a fantastic job in run defense. For as many faults as the as the Eagles' defense has, they do hold up. They hold up strong at the point of attack before it even gets to the second level. A lot of times, but as far as tight as far as the tight ends go, like we talked about see what Nathan Gary has been you know he's, he's on a lot of people's highlight reels this season five games into the season so a guy like Mark Andrews who to me is the top three tight end in football right now he surpassed Zach Ertz he's going to have a field day against uh, Nathan Gary they don't have the personnel to match up with him it doesn't matter what Nathan Gary did has done over the past five weeks and have a team game plan for that who are they, who are they going to who what other options do they have to put on him Darius Slay Okay, but then you have then you're going to have a mismatch on the outside with Hollywood Brown or somebody else. So it's going to be pick your poison for the Ravens. So they're going to definitely target Mark Andrews in the short to intermediate routes and, and probably find success there, just like every other team has. Yeah, I, I
0: don't I don't know how you get through. You know, every week it seems like there's a big tight end that you're stuck playing. You had Kittle, you have Andrews this week. Last week you didn't have. I mean, Ebron's a middle of the road guy. Uh, they, I mean Claypool just killed you as a you know physical guy. Um, you know it seems that that linebacker position is going to be a problem for them uh, moving forward here. Uh, we're talking to Andrew DiCecco, obviously football four where, all right, so let's get to this point then. Um, do you spy Lamar Jackson? How do you balance figuring out what to do with him? Because if, if you're spying, it's typically with a linebacker.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, my question for you is <laughs> who's, who's spying Lamar Jackson? Nathan Gary? Nathan Gary is supposed to be their strongest guy coverage. Maybe Duke Riley? I mean, the options there are not very enticing. I mean, I don't know that that's the route to go given the personnel that they have.
0: Why don't you give Davion Taylor a shot, right?
1: I mean, he has—he's the most athletic linebacker they have. That's—that's—that's that's, that's a fact. That's not opinion. It's just more so of him knowing the assignments and knowing where to go. He can he, he runs like he runs around like his hair is on fire. But yeah. you also have to know you have to be diligent in your assignments and know exactly where you're going. Or well, that's that's just that's just as ineffective as now, having a guy like Nathan Garrett who knows where he's supposed to be but can't get there.
0: Now, how far away? You know, we were we had this conversation in the beginning of the show. I had a bigger problem drafting Taylor in the third round than I do with taking Hurts because. Look, I get it. I uh, Hertz, I get, is a project. He's a luxury pick, but I value that position. So the quarterback spot, I'll take my shot. In the third round, you took a guy who is not ready to get on the field. Like, how far away, in your opinion, is Davion Taylor from helping this team out? That's where I have a problem is, all right, you took your project in round two, okay. You can't do the same thing again in round three.
1: No, he's two years minimum away from being able to contribute to the Eagles, uh, by my estimation. I had Davion Ontario great as a fifth-round pick, um, for what that's worth. But he does have the athletic Tracy of the modern-day NFL linebacker, but he's just so far away from playing. He's so raw. They're not even really giving him a lot of special teams responsibilities right now, which tells you all that you need to know. He's so new to the game of football that, you know, he, he's, he's not going to be able to contribute for at least a couple of seasons, which is very concerning. In that third round, when you look at a guy like Hakeem Davis Gaither from Appalachian State as a player who I really liked, who does fit the current mold of the linebacking landscape in the NFL, he went to the Cincinnati Bengals, and he's contributing to them. Um, he actually made a play uh, down the sideline against Miles Sanders in the game, in the, in the Eagles-Bengals game. So, I, I mean, there's there, that was a head-scratching move. Uh, to be honest with you, I know that he had the measurables and everything that they're looking for, and they were he ran a you know I believe it was a four four forty yard dash, really you know really gaudy numbers there. But and I think they may have gotten enamored with that, but he, he's very far away from contributing.
0: Tell you what, watch Kenneth Murray last night. Wouldn't mind him playing, uh, and you're going to see Queen this weekend with the uh, Ravens. Wouldn't mind seeing those two guys playing linebacker for you.
1: Yeah, I had Patrick Queen as my defensive rookie of the year candidate uh, when I did my. Uh, predictions for inside the birds before the season he's a fantastic player and like you said you saw Terrance murray last night all over the field shooting the gaps diagnosing plays making plays behind the line of scrimmage and you're going to see patrick queen doing much of the same and you're going to see a lot of tweets on uh, on sunday i'm sure throughout the timeline about the what if the eagles get this guy um you know he was there for the taking and uh, that's going to continue to happen throughout the season
2: I just don't understand how you can watch that. And we all watched what happened last night, and we see these players. How do you watch that and then see what you have and think that that is okay? Or, you know, you go down that road. I just can't comprehend seeing what works in this league and then not trying to copy it. It's a copycat league. We talk it all the time. You let Malcolm Jenkins go, okay. You get Darius Slay. You know what type of role Malcolm Jenkins can provide, and... It just turned into a nightmare with what you have at linebacker, and I just don't know how you can see these players do it and not feel horrible. This comes back
1: to poor drafting. Think of it this way. If they had hit on jJr J.R. whiteside last season, if he was what they envisioned him to be, you don't have to take a guy like Jalen Rager in the first round. Maybe you allocate that to offensive line or linebacker, and, and you can go down the list of guys that they've kind of taken in past drafts that haven't worked out and now they kind of have to correct that problem by overdrafting them or kind of pushing another position back on the back putting another position on the back burner when when those positions now suddenly become a, a need
0: Andrew DiCecco follow him at A DiCieco NFL make sure you get all his coverage for the Eagles and the Ravens at 97.3 ESPN.com and InsideTheBirds.com and of course he like all guests appeared via the Boardwalk Honda hotline all right Andrew take care pal you too, guys. Have a great week. He'll be back on Monday to recap the Eagles and the Ravens. It's going to be an ugly game, I think. He That's might- how I feel on Tuesday. See if I feel better by the end of the week. But he didn't make me feel any better. No, not at all. And he's down on Geary, which makes me feel like he knows what he's talking about. You know what blows my mind sometimes,
2: though, when we hear about Schwartz and how the lack of adjusting happens and everybody knows what he's going to do? It's crazy how successful he is, though, with this scheme that everybody knows what he's going to do. Like, everyone talks about it. He makes no adjustments. He can't do this. He can't do that. Yet, 2017, fourth best defense in points per game. 2018, ninth best. You're talking top five, top ten. Everybody knows what he's going to do, yet the scheme works
0: if the personnel is right. I just find that funny, you know? It's crazy. Yeah, I mean, look, I think people need jerk reaction. They just don't – he's not the most likable guy. True. That's That That plays into it. And the team's struggling. I think their personnel, I think if most people were truthful to themselves, they would say this personnel is just not – I mean, not good enough. I mean, they're not good enough personnel-wise on the back end and their linebackers run. They're very good up front. And when their up front plays well, they win. And when they don't, they struggle. That's not – I mean, there's not rocket science here, right? Correct. I don't know how much of that's on him. Now, you say, oh, the scheme's outdated. No, the players aren't that good. That's right. what it is. And the those players same, aren't that good.
2: Those same players that we liked three years ago, you know, they're getting three years older, and, and that adds context to the conversation. Yeah. Brandon but you Graham's see, a little older.
0: Fletcher Cox is a little older. I mean, that doesn't mean they stink.
2: Right. I was going to say, you can see they obviously can still be effective, because before last week, we were talking about
0: them as one of the best defensive lines in football. And they I thought they played okay the other day. One sack. Didn't, I mean... Need more. They need more, right? The difference, I thought, Pittsburgh's line five sacks, yours one. Big difference. On Sports Radio Talk Show, The Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN FM. All right, at the beginning of the season, you might have had Super Bowl aspirations. Five weeks in, those may have changed. Which teams have the best shot right now? After five weeks, some teams have only played four. You got a game tonight, right here on 97.3 ESPN. Chiefs and Titans, right here. No Bills and Titans. I'm sorry, you it's got me. Chiefs thinking. and Bills next week. That's what, the schedule's all a mess, man. Uh, but who's other pretenders? Who are the uh, real Super Bowl contenders? John Clayton from the Washington Post, great article today, chronicling the five teams that he likes. Plus a couple of notes that we'll get into. Let's start there, John. And uh you wrote about the NFC East and how bad it is. They lose Dak Prescott. The Eagles have been dreadful. The Giants still haven't won. Washington's changed its quarterback already. Is any team in there have a shot to pull away, or is this gonna be just a catastrophic mess all season long?
3: What well, here's gonna be funny is that uh you know, the way it's going right now, because a lot of the NFC uh, Super Bowl contenders are not showing like they're contenders. I mean, it, it, it just drops. And what's happening is that you've got the NFC East fueling, you know, the NFC West and the AFC North with the uh, wins because they play those two divisions with four games. And right now, you know, in those uh, non-interconference games or non-division games, you know, the uh, Giants and all the teams in the East haven't won a single game. What are they, like 0-11? And so all they're doing is pumping things up and giving higher seeds to the teams in those two divisions. But, what, uh, but here's the weird part. As weird as it is, I wouldn't be surprised that the Dallas Cowboys would be the first team in football – to clinch the playoffs, and the reason I say that ah. is that the Cowboys get to play in the NFC East, right? And if, unless the Eagles, it could, it could be, it could be the Eagles too. But if the if the Cowboys or Eagles go five and one or six and zero in the division, you know the division is probably going to be a uh, six win, seven win division. So it's like uh, if all the teams, like two or three of the teams are down there at four wins at the beginning of December, which very well could happen, what you're looking at is that, uh, you know, the Cowboys could get to six or seven and clinch or the Eagles could get to six or seven and clinch.
0: That's a good point, yeah, that one of them could win the division, uh, pull away from the others, and and uh, basically clinch that division because Washington and New York, you would imagine, will not be involved here. Uh, maybe Philly either. I mean, uh, we saw Philly last week, I mean, 29 points, the offense was okay, Wentz had a decent game, they found this kid, uh, Fulgham, out of nowhere, but that defense has been a problem. I mean, is this who they are? Is this who the Eagles are? Is it a bad football team?
3: Well, it's an injured football team, and that kind of makes it a bad football team. I think you have to look at it that way. And, again, you're seeing so many things like that creeping up because, you know, I I counted up uh, the stupid me. I keep track of every missed start uh, and trying to keep up on who starts, and so I don't get too far off on that. And, you know, missed starts are up 26% compared to last year. 26% think about that uh, because there's now close to 500 missed starts. That's a hundred a week, and so what you're looking at is that uh, you've got so many uh, guys right now. I mean, uh, the entire offensive line pretty much is on the injured reserve list. You now, I, I was happy that uh, Lane Johnson, you know, not is not going to need surgery, but you know, he hasn't been the same since that ankle injury, and so you've got the bad offensive line right now because of injuries. I mean, the receivers it's like okay, so which uh, unknown? Uh, is the, the best wide receiver help? Is it Greg Ward or is it Fulgham? You know, so you have that, and then you know there's been issues on the defensive side of the ball. But uh, you know at one three and one, it's not a strong Eagle team. And I think you can see that uh, Carson Wentz, though overly criticized, is affected by it.
2: You mentioned the Eagles being injured, which ties perfectly with something you wrote about with the 2020 wide receiver class. You mentioned Rugs, Judy, Lamb, Jefferson, Jalen Rieger. If healthy, is he talented enough to be in that type of class as well?
3: Oh, I, I think he can. sure. No question because again, I mean, this was a great uh, draft for wide receivers, and it's turning out even better and better. And I mean, you see it. I mean, what was it? Uh, twenty five receivers drafted uh, more than I think any other year. You had so many that went in the first three, four rounds. Uh, this was a great draft. I know Daniel Jeremiah of the NFL Network says that he went into the off-season looking at uh, the draft at wide receiver, and he thought this could be the best. And now you look at what you see on the field, it looks even better. I mean, because you know, Justin Jefferson's come on and helped out uh, Kirk Cousins and that bad Minnesota Viking team. You know, He's done well. I mean, you can see the top three for the top three. I mean, whether you like, uh, you know, Jeff Judy or whether you like Seed Lamb or whether you like Henry Ruggs, they're all good. But the other end, of course, Rieger's going to fit into that group too, but unfortunately, he's hurt.
0: Yeah, well, the, I guess the fear is that they all can't be good. Somebody's got to be the bust of the group. You hope it's not him. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think it will be. I mean, you
3: know, again, the injuries play a big role. I mean, you saw good things out of Michael Pittman in Indianapolis. Uh, and unfortunately he's on the injured reserve list again we've got more injuries right now than we've ever had in any season in NFL history and everybody has to deal with it but uh, you know you don't want to be the teams like Philly and San Francisco and the Los Angeles Chargers and the Dallas Cowboys
0: uh John Clayton for the Washington Post uh, teams that are legitimate Super Bowl contenders right now Kansas City lost the other night but they're still the favorite yeah, I think so because again, they have Patrick Mahomes, and even as bad as it was with the defensive
3: performance of the Kansas City Chiefs, with Derek Carr just carving him up and putting 40 points on the board, you know, he still uh, Patrick Mahomes has the ability to make that last drive to either get the tie or get the win. I mean, he's done it so many times. I mean, what he had a one-six game stretch uh, before a week ago before that uh, he he was able to do it, and you can see that you know he can be down two scores and he can still get you there. I mean, they just got to tighten some things up on defense. But again, you look league-wide, tell me the teams that are tightening up on defense. I mean, you get good defensive numbers when you play a team with a young or bad quarterback or a young or bad offense, but everybody else, I mean, from Green Bay to yeah. New Orleans to Seattle, I mean, you look at all those numbers, and they're all high.
0: John, I know uh, you're out there in Seattle, 710 ESPN is where you can hear John Clayton uh, on the radio, and 5-0, and oh, but man... You mentioned defense. Can they uh, can they make it deep with that defense, or is that just the way the league is? That's the way the league is. I mean, because again, you go around because I know I, I get
3: constables on this, and it's like, oh, you can't, you can't sustain this. You can't sustain this, and it's like, well, when you go back, and again, any year. Prior to this, you almost throw away because it doesn't count compared to this year. But you know, Indy went to a Super Bowl with Peyton Manning and a defense that did it poorly. New Orleans did that. I mean, it's rare, but it does happen. This year, it's happening everywhere because you know you can see with the lack of holding penalties, teams stay in rhythm on offense and are able to uh, you know not have to face you know second and twenties and all that. I just went through because uh, I always keep track of the holding penalties. And I think there was only like about what, 28 or 29 this past week. I mean, the numbers just say so low that, uh, you know, you, know you, you can, you can keep pace on offense, not having the crowd noise for visiting teams has helped offenses not have to get false starts and make mistakes like that. So you throw all that stuff together and it's all working out for offenses. And so, you know, in a year that people are always keep saying you win championships on defense, that's never really happened for the most part in the last two decades. I mean, you win with quarterbacks. And the more you can give the quarterbacks a chance to get into a rhythm, the better it is.
2: How legit is this Pittsburgh Steelers team? They went 8-8 eight eight last year. They had the wonky quarterback situation. You add Big Ben, this defense, it stops the run. It has a lot of versatility when it comes to that 3-4. It brings a ton of blitzes. How legit are they?
3: Mm-hmm. very legit because you know it's it's funny because you know in Pittsburgh and of course I've been covered the Steelers at the beginning of my career and growing up in Pittsburgh you know you hear all the criticism and the criticism is well they can't get the 30 points because you go back 2 years ago you know they have vowed to be a 30 point offense and then and then Ben gets the elbow problems it gets halfway through the second game of the season last year he's out for the year but he's back he's playing at a high level they've got a top five defense and so uh even though they gave up points and yards to the philadelphia eagles i think they're legit and they face more young quarterbacks than just about any team in football so i look at them as being you know an 11 or 12 win team and we'll get to find out how good they are in these next couple weeks when they play cleveland and pittsburgh uh but i'd say right now that the top three teams that are super bowl contenders in the afc kansas city pittsburgh or baltimore
0: yep and then uh you mentioned seattle i guess the other contender you gotta throw green bay in there right
3: 100% yeah because again the packers have uh you know a quarterback right now he may not be as hot as, uh, as uh, Russell Wilson, but he's pretty hot. I mean, in fact, he's gone through five games. He's putting up 38 points a game, you know, and he's doing it pretty much without receivers because, remember, he's done the last couple games without Devontae Adams. You know, uh, <laughs> the, un- the unknown names in the rest of their receiving core, they even lost one in Alan Lazard. And so it's like you, you hardly know who these receivers are, but he does, and he gets the ball to them, and, uh, you know, he's just smoking right now.
0: Yep, it's uh, fun at the top, and then uh, if those are your five, what's that next group uh, or next team or two uh, that are right there? Because it seems like it's pretty. I mean, everybody loves yeah. Kansas City, but who's? It's it's wide open after that. Yeah, the next
3: next three, I think you have to put the Buffalo Bills up there and again we'll get the full uh, ramifications of whether the bills are there or not just tonight in the game against Tennessee and then Sunday when they play the Kansas City Chiefs if they go one and one in those two games they're legit and then uh, you have to pick one of the two teams if not one, both teams in the NFC South whether it's Tampa Bay or New Orleans uh because again you know they've had struggles with the quarterback position for both but they have quarterbacks who have been there been to the super bowls and you saw last night you know even though he had the slow start that uh, drew Brees, whether he's down 17 points or not can still bring a team back and try to win a football game
0: john clayton's with us uh, the washington post and john i know again you're out there in seattle so you get to see what linebacker play is like how valuable is linebacker like the eagles just don't value the linebacker position at all they, they have the least resources in that position wagner kj right uh how important is the linebacker position in today's game so you're telling me just because the long snapper makes more
3: than any of the linebackers on the team that that's a bad thing <laughs> that they're not committing to the linebacking group it's, it's it's extremely important particularly even more so now with the way that offenses are because you know Pre snap motion on running plays is at all time high. It's never been that way, and so and and you see the way that people have copied both Sean McVay and copied uh, what's going on with Kyle Shanahan and Doug Peterson has even copied some of that stuff too. I mean, you're trying to get wider spreads on some of these outside zone runs to try to make sure with the pre snap motion and everything else that you put the pressure on the linebackers to be able to get there. And so, you know, now what you need to do on a defense is that you need good quick fast linebackers and you also need that positionalist player that matt Rule always talks about that safety box safety who can play slot receiver linebacker uh they can play you know at the free safety position but somebody that could just chase these guys down because if you can't get to the quarterback who's rolling out if you can't get to the running back you know you're giving up big plays
0: so putting nick geary on chase claypool not a good idea
3: Chase Claypool was. I mean, you know, when I was was sitting there in the draft and they took him, and I said, "Up, Steelers did it again because they are as good in any team in the last two decades at finding wide receivers." And Claypool, I mean, you could see it from the first time he was out there. I mean, he's a big receiver. I mean, to me, and of course, I hate to bring this up in uh, uh, South Jersey, but it's like, uh, you know, Whitehead. I I don't think you can put him ahead of DK Metcalf because. I mean, D.K. Metcalf in his first 21 games, and Metcalf ended up being with a trade up by Seattle, the, thir- yeah. uh, the 64th player taken in the draft right at the end of the second round. But his numbers right now have exceeded guys in 21 games. And you've heard of these guys before. Calvin Johnson, you know, because the 80 catches that Calvin's had, uh, Metcalf, but you know, over 100 yards more, 1,378 yards. He's got more than T.O. Uh, Terrell Owens. He- he's done better at a start in 21 games than Uh, Calvin Johnson, and he's also done um, better than Julio Jones. And so the only one that can top him is some guy named Randy Moss, who had 90 catches and 20 touchdowns in his first 21 games.
0: Thanks a lot, John. That uh, really hurts all of our feelings. (laughs) I know. Oh, man, that DK Metcalf. But you got Greg Ward and you got Fulgham. Fulgham's not bad so far. Huh? We're liking what we're seeing out of Fulgham. Yeah, 152 yards last week, but that DK Metcalf would look pretty good at Midnight Green. You can have JJ Ortega Whiteside. He's John Clayton from the Washington Post, and he was kind enough to join us right here on the Sports Bash Boardwalk the Hotline. John, thanks so much, man. Okay, thanks alright uh, yeah he had to rub this in on that one didn't he yeah absolutely the DK Metcalf stuff just just brilliant yeah that's why he's the professor he brilliantly said hey, how about that I love how um, you know he knew the staff oh yeah he's got uh, more catches than everybody other than uh, some guy named Randy Moss yeah incredible stuff
2: how about the long snapper
0: <laughs> you like that <laughs> unreal yeah he says uh, on the linebacker it's extremely pr- important the pre-snap motions it's an all-time high you know, everybody's trying misdirection. Wide, uh spread the field out for those zone reads? And your linebackers are poop. Poop. Sean Bradley. Yeah, maybe you no, da- can play in a couple years. Davion Taylor. That's
2: Davion Taylor who can play in a couple years. Sean Bradley, we need
0: two dogs uh, on this Sunday. Uh, ask Mike and Broads coming up. You guys ask the questions. We'll answer them for you. 609-403-0973 on the text board. 609 609- 403 0973 609 403 0973. Another edition, Ask Michael Rhodes coming up. Turn it on, leave it on. The Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. Scott Graham here from Westwood One, inviting you to join us for a special Tuesday night NFL primetime game. Two unbeaten AFC teams do battle when Ryan Tannehill and the 3-0 Tennessee Titans play host to Josh Allen and the 4-0 Buffalo Bills. Kevin Kugler and... All night on the top of the hour, Sports Bash 97.3 ESPN. By the way, if you missed our conversation earlier with the big man on campus, Jeff Nadeau from Barstool Sports on the early lines, check out that on our website, 97.3ESPN.com. We'll have... Uh, he has a pick for tonight's game that he liked. I already put it in. Yeah. Already in. Already in. That's why we do the early lines. By the way, NBA Finals, games five and six, both over eight million viewers, but among the least watched ever. Not a surprise, though. Nope, not at all. Game six, TV highest rated show other than Sunday Night Football was the basketball game. Came in, It was next, but... Basketball got swallowed up by football. I think they, you know, there's talk about them changing the time of their years and stuff. And I think they realize that they don't want to go up against football in October for their playoffs.
2: Yeah, I would have to agree with you. It's definitely not a strong thing whatsoever. It's unfortunate because, like we've been talking about over the last couple of weeks, we're basketballsmen's and for us to kind of just have this slip under the radar. And I was in on it, especially in Game 5 and Game 6, specifically more than the rest of the series, because the first two, the Lakers were at hand, and then Jimmy Butler had a cool 40-point triple-double and all, but it, it just did not have the impact that it should have. I mean, LeBron James won his fourth title, and I think this is an interesting question to ask you. Do you think that there is LeBron James fatigue in terms of basketball? Not so much the no, You know what though. I think
0: the fatigue is? It's the conversation of who's better, LeBron or Jordan. That's what I think the fatigue is. But do you think it's, like, who do you think
2: is bringing up that conversation more, the LeBron fans or the MJ fans or a little combination of both? It's a
0: combination of, like, you know, hey, it's a conversation that people kind of get heated about. They have their sides. And I think people are just kind of like, look... There is no answer to the question. Right. Michael Jordan played for 15 seasons. I mean, he was I mean, he took a break, he came back. Uh but he he was around for 15 years. Look, at the beginning of his career, the Bulls were not very good. He turned them good. They kept losing, they kept losing, they kept losing. They finally win. They win 3. Then he takes the break. I mean, he has kind of a story that's unique. Well, let me ask you this. Cuz well, you, you came, lived it. LeBron came right in. And almost immediately was going to the finals, and they were losing, but yeah, go ahead. No, because I was going to say, with LeBron, you mentioned it, when he
2: first came in, it was LeBron. So for 17 straight years, it was LeBron, 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 this guy is the next chosen one, the next MJ, right from day one. With MJ, when you talk about those series where he would lose to the Pistons, where he would lose in the playoffs, that Michael Jordan vibe... Was it there, or was it there after that first series win? Well, i got to be
0: honest. I was a little young okay. early. I mean, 84, 85, he's a rookie. Um, you know, he got he got hurt the one year, 85, 86. I mean, 86, 87, I'm still like, I'm only like 10 years old. Yeah, true. You know, so I was a little young. When I was, like, old enough to be into basketball and be into, like, what was going on, you know, it's probably like, 89, 90, 90, 91, somewhere in that range. And by that time, you know, Jordan's already the best player in the league, but they keep coming up short. You know, they're coming up short. But keep in mind, they're coming up short to Larry Bird, they're coming up short to the Pistons, and they're coming up short to some of the great teams of all time, the Bad Boy Pistons, uh, the Larry Bird, Hall of Fame level Celtics teams.
2: So is it fair to say though that LeBron with that Cleveland Cavaliers team without without the top dogs, falling to KD, Steph Curry, and Clay Thompson is going
0: up against the well, juggernaut? See, here's what I'll say about LeBron in his Cleveland days. I think one of the problems for LeBron, he never really had that adversary. There was no team in the East when Cleveland was good the first time that was really like the challenge. Fair. There was nobody that really was like Jordan and the bad boy Pistons. That was it. Uh, the Celtic teams. LeBron really didn't have that adversary. I mean, so I don't know. It's something. It, it, I got to give you the word, but we can keep conversating on this a little bit more because I think it's. By the way, we have anytime hotline calls after PT. The word of the hour, it is movie.